Well, good evening. Have you had a good day today? Was it better than yesterday? Some of you still aren't sure, are you? You really aren't sure. Well, I hope you've had a good day. Um, Before we dive into this evening's subject, um, I just want to remind you of where we finished last night. And uh, just a very strong sense that there were people in the tent last night. And that challenge from Matthew chapter 5, that if you think a brother or a sister has something against you, you are to go and make reconciliation with them. And for those of you that God spoke to very specifically last night, I just want to remind you, if you haven't sent that email, if you haven't written that letter, if you haven't made that phone call, if you haven't yet asked that person for a coffee, or even if they're in the tent this evening and you need to go across and see them, then please, please, please remember what God has said. Remember what God is challenging you to do, that the onus lies on you, not on them, and that you are not responsible for their response. You are responsible for what you are called to do. So if that was you last night, and as yet you haven't made that step, can I just encourage you to do so? So this evening, as has been said, we're looking at the subject of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Scripture proclaims again and again that every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. Actually, Scripture reminds us again and again that every Christian is a charismatic Whether you like it or not, whether you wear the label or not, if you are a Christian, you are a charismatic. Because as Michael Green said, every Christian is indebted to the sheer charis, grace of God. And the charis, the grace of God, is the means by which he gives gifts freely to his children. And if you're a Christian in this tent this evening, you have at least one spiritual gift. You've probably got two or three main spiritual gifts, as we'll look at later on. The question is, what are you doing with the gift that God has given you? Do you know what the gifts are that God has given to you? And how are you using them in the church, in society, in culture, in the workplace, for the extension of his kingdom and for the building up of his church? I don't know much, if I'm honest, about the context here in Northern Ireland. It used to be said that England was about 20 years ahead of Scotland, and Scotland was about 20 years spiritually ahead or behind, depending on how you look at it, Northern Ireland. I don't know exactly what your context is like, but certainly in England and certainly in Scotland, one of the buzzwords of our society and culture is spirituality. Everybody agrees in England and Scotland and Wales that spirituality is a good thing. The only problem is that no one can actually really define it. Spirituality is found front and centre in the school curriculum, in the Scottish Curriculum for Excellence, as it's called. Spirituality is to be taught in schools. Spirituality is to be found where you can still find a bookshop. 
If you go onto Amazon, if you look in the section of spirituality, you will find reams and reams and reams of books. The only problem is that spirituality means different things to different people. So to some people, it might mean climbing a mountain. To somebody else, it's doing a yoga class. To somebody else, it's listening to classical music at the last night of the proms. To somebody else, it's holding up your mobile phone at a rock concert and waving it with the torch on. All these things can be defined as and justified as spiritual and enhancing experiences. And something's happened in our society over the past 30 years or so. We've recognized that we're not just physical, emotional, economic, or rational human beings. As we've lived through the materialism of the 70s and 80s and 90s and noughties, where we are now is in a society that is recognizing that we have a spiritual side to our existence. That there is a spiritual part of who we are as human beings. But a paradox has occurred. As we've become more conscious of the fact that we are spiritual, we've become less religious. Church attendance, certainly in Scotland, is declining at an alarming rate. When I moved to Scotland in 1996, about 16% of the population regularly went to church. Now, the best estimate would put it between 3 and 4% of the population in Scotland that is found to be in a church on any given Sunday. I don't think I'm personally responsible for the whole of that decline uh, over the last 20 years. But the reality is that I certainly live in a society, in a context which is less and less religious, but which actually has never been more spiritual. People are asking deeper and deeper and more profound spiritual questions. If you're involved at all in evangelism, you will recognize that people are in a very different place from where they were in the 1980s and the 1990s. But the sad reality too is that fewer and fewer people associate the church as a place that might be described as spiritual. Indeed, for most of the people, certainly in Edinburgh, church is one of the last places that they would look to meet their spiritual needs. Spirituality is fine, it seems, apart from Christianity. Now, I'm going to enter into slightly dangerous territory. Because I want you just to cast your minds back two or three months and look, for example, at the treatment given to one of our politicians in the UK during the general election campaign. Now, I'm not going to dwell on the DUP. Don't worry, I'm, I'm not going on that particular minefield. But I want to speak very briefly about Tim Farron. Tim Farron is a committed Christian and was the leader of the UK Liberal Democrat Party. And if you remember, during the election campaign, he came unstuck on one question. Did he think gay sex was a sin? Now, this evening is not the time to debate that subject. I have done a lot of that over the last 10 years or so. Now is not the time either to debate whether he handled that question well. In my personal opinion, he didn't. But what it revealed in the way our society responded to him and the way in which he was treated was our society's illiberal liberalism as he was repeatedly asked the same question during the general election campaign. 
Fascinatingly, no one asked Theresa May the same question. No one asked Jeremy Corbyn the same question. Nobody asked the numerous Muslim candidates who were standing for various parties across the United Kingdom. Eventually, two days after the election, Tim Farron resigned and his resignation speech was incredibly revealing. just want to quote you some lines from what Tim Farron said. He said, From the very first day of my leadership, I have faced questions about my Christian faith. I've tried to answer with grace and patience. Sometimes my answers could have been wiser. The consequences of the focus on my faith is that I've found myself torn between living as a faithful Christian and serving as a political leader. And then he finished with this quite remarkable paragraph. I want to say one more thing. I joined our party when I was 16. It's in my blood. I love our history, our people. I thoroughly love my party. Imagine how proud I am to lead this party. And then imagine what would lead me to voluntarily relinquish that honor. In the words of Isaac Watts, it would have to be something so amazing, so divine. It demands my soul, my life, my all. Thank you. Amazing words. And whatever we think about Tim Farron, whatever we think about the policies of the Lib Dems, he, I think, demands and deserves our respect and admiration. But what was fascinating was to see the way in which that speech was reported. Many of the news bulletins, BBC, ITV, Channel 4, Sky, Channel 5, etc., carried his resignation speech. Many of the newspapers the next day quoted large chunks of his resignation speech. But what was telling, and quite unusually, if we're honest, it was only the Guardian newspaper that included the lines from when I survey the wondrous cross. Any other reference to his faith in many of the reports was simply airbrushed out. Those last few lines when Tim Farron quoted from Isaac Watts' amazing hymn simply were not repeated on national television or radio. And as I say, it was only the Guardian newspaper that included it in its reporting. Spirituality in the United Kingdom, spirituality in England and Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland, it seems, is fine as long as it is private and as long as it is inoffensive and does not demand too much. Now, what has that got to do with the subject that we're looking at this evening? Well, if you've got a Bible or a smartphone with a Bible app or a tablet, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, one of the great chapters about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 11. Now, if you know anything about first century Corinth, you'll know that the the context that Paul was writing into was a context as diverse and as confused spiritually as ours is 
today. First century Corinth was a hothouse of spiritual beliefs, opinions, and experiences. And it's to the church that is in this particular environment, an environment which, if we're honest, is not that dissimilar to the environment, certainly, that we find ourselves in 21st century Scotland, and which, if we're honest, you may well soon find yourselves in 21st century Northern Ireland. A context which is diverse spiritually, where paganism is increasingly coming to the fore, where it seems that people are free to believe whatever they like, as long as it does not offend that which the liberal elite have deemed to be acceptable, i.e. Christianity. Corinth was very like that. There were all sorts of different beliefs and different gods and different deities that people ascribe power to. And it's into the church in that context that Paul writes these words. Chapter 12 and verse 1. Now about spiritual gifts, or you could also say spiritual things or spirituality. Those, that's a, those are, are as valid translations of 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 1. About the gifts of the Spirit or spirituality or spiritual things, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know, brothers and sisters, that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. The context of the church in Corinth was that they found themselves in a culture, in a society, where Greek mystery religions abounded. And these Greek mystery religions were wild and they were wacky. And the wackier they were, the more spiritual they were perceived to be. So you had to have had a trance. You had to have had an oracle or a message in order for it to be legitimately spiritual and legitimately authentic. The more extreme the experience, the more spiritual, the more authentic and the more true and the more real it was. But the Apostle Paul does not mince his words. Verse 2. You were led astray to mute idols. Household gods abounded in Roman and Greek culture. Houses would have them everywhere in the house. We still have them. We call them televisions. 
But in those days, these mute idols were there across the houses and they, they were prayed to as you entered a house, as you left a house. And these mute idols were throughout the ancient world, but particularly in a place like Corinth. And so what Paul does is begin to teach the Corinthian Christians and through them us here this evening in this place about true spirituality, about what it looks like, what it feels like, and what it does in the life of a Christian. So firstly, verses 2 and 3, true spirituality is always about Jesus. True spirituality is always about Jesus. Now again, in our society, very much like it was in first century Corinth, there are lots of people, and sadly even in the church, who deem whether something is true, real, or authentic by how vivid the experience was or is. Paul says any true real, authentic, spiritual experience that is coming from the Spirit of God will always point people towards the person of Jesus. Look at what he says there in verse 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So as we were reminded this morning by Heather in the Bible reading, every Christian has the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside you. As we were singing earlier on, that reminder from, from Romans, the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in you and me. You cannot be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit living inside you. So Josh, if you remember from Saturday night, I remember when he was a 15-year-old saying to me, I'm fine with Jesus, I'm fine with the cross, I'm fine with the resurrection, but I don't need that Holy Spirit stuff. That is not what Scripture teaches about the Holy Spirit. You cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit living inside you. You cannot say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And Paul was also saying something else. Because to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus was by definition then and now to say that nobody else is Lord. First century Corinth, again and again, because they were part of the Roman Empire, said Caesar is Lord. And to say that Jesus was Lord of your life meant that you were saying that Caesar was no longer Lord. Caesar was no longer the emperor. Caesar was no longer in charge. Caesar was no longer the person in charge of your life. So to say the phrase, Jesus is Lord, was life-threatening and dangerous. Because it was treason. It was punishable by death to say that the emperor was not the emperor. The emperor was not Lord. The emperor was not in charge over you. So to those of us in 21st century Britain, for us, Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is Lord, it means that Theresa May is not. Neither is Jeremy Corbyn, nor Donald Trump, nor Vladimir Putin, nor Arlene Foster, nor Michelle O'Neill, or for Tim Farron, his own political leadership. 
remember again, your first allegiance as Christians is to the kingdom of God. It's to the kingdom of heaven. And that's how God looks at you. That's where your primary allegiance will always and should always lie to King Jesus. Not any other king or queen or president or prime minister or first minister. So true spirituality is always about Jesus. Secondly, verses 4 to 7, true spirituality that comes from the Holy Spirit is diverse, but it's unifying. So Paul writes to this church and says, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but the same God. And it's always for one thing, the common good. The gifts of the Holy Spirit always build people up. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, to know whether they really are from the Holy Spirit or being used in the way that God intended them to be used, i.e. in line with Scripture, will always mean that they point people to Jesus and always mean that they will encourage people and result in them following Jesus more closely. And if they don't, they're not from the Holy Spirit or they're not being used in the right way. Many, many years ago, I was a university student. Um, I was at, um, according to Blackadder, one of Britain's three great British universities. Uh, If you remember Blackadder, he's testing a German spy at one stage, and he says there are three great British universities, Oxford, Cambridge, and Hull. Well, guess which one I was at. I was at Hull. And uh, we were privileged to be there at a time when God, for some reason, broke into our university Christian union. And uh, long before you'd ever heard of John Wimber, long before you'd ever heard of the Toronto blessing, whether you approve of that or not, Long before all those phenomenon that we associate with John Wimber or with the Toronto, we had them in Hull University CU in 1980. At our CU house party that evening, uh, that weekend, for some reason the Holy Spirit came in an unusual way. After one of the main meetings on the Saturday morning, uh, the room of about 150 students looked like a battlefield. There were people draped over chairs. There were people laying out, slain on the floor. There were people weeping. There were people kneeling. The two UCCF staff workers, and I was about to become one three years later, were at the back of the room talking with each other, thinking and saying, what do we do now? Over the next year or so, that CU grew from 100, 120 up to about 250 at 300 at one point. God did something remarkable during that time. Now, we were a very charismatic Christian union. We were used to people having prophecies and pictures and words. And we made many, many mistakes. And um, God was gracious and he allowed us to make those mistakes and to learn along the way. But I'll never forget one particular evening. It was a main meeting of the Christian Union. And uh, we were having some opening worship that was not dissimilar to the worship we've had this evening. And uh, at one point, one of the students um, stood up and started to speak a prophetic word. 
And it was in the first person singular. I, the Lord, say to you. So he wasn't an Anglican. That was obvious. I, the Lord, say to you. And he started. And it was a rant. It was a tirade. And he started to tell us how we weren't really spiritual. How we weren't doing what God wanted us to do. And he went on and on and on and on. My mate, Toby, was on the CU exact that year. And he was leading the meeting. And I could see Toby standing at the front thinking, praying, Lord, what do I do now? As Duncan, that was his name, just stood and really went for it. After about four or five minutes, and most of us were feeling deeply uncomfortable, Toby just stood and said, Duncan, that's enough. And Duncan, bless him, opened his eyes and sat down. Our speaker had driven 200 miles to speak to us that evening. He came from a part of the evangelical church where prophetic gifts of the Holy Spirit were not regular things. Indeed, he came from a part of the evangelical church that believed that such things stopped with the age of the apostles. He told us later that he was within 10 seconds of walking out and going back the 200 miles that he had already come. But my mate Toby was absolutely right to stop Duncan where he was. Because the effect of his words weren't to encourage, to build up, to lead people to Jesus, but to make people feel guilty and condemned. If a gift of the Holy Spirit does not point people to Jesus, if it doesn't build people up, if it doesn't encourage people, and if it's not offered in a spirit of love, then it's not being used in the way that Scripture intends. Now, I am a professional Christian. I've been trained at theological college. And I want to share with you this evening one of the most profound and deeply, deeply theological lessons that I have ever learned. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want you perhaps to flip over the page to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want you to glance on to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where again it speaks about how spiritual gifts are to be used. I want to share with you perhaps one of the most profound things that will be shared with you this week, perhaps ever in your Christian life. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 comes after 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and before 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I leave it with you. That's it. But you see, it's obvious when you look at it. Paul's message about love comes right in the middle of 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. And Paul says, I may speak in the tongues of angels. I may do this, this, this and this. But if I don't have love, I'm nothing. The whole thing is worthless. The whole thing is pointless. 1 Corinthians 13, that's often read at weddings, is nothing at all to do with weddings. Ban it from weddings. 
It's all to do with the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the way in which those gifts are used and expressed. And they have to be used and expressed in love. In love. The third thing, verse 7. There is variety and there is equality of gifts. So there are different gifts of the Holy Spirit. We'll look at the lists in a moment. One of the most helpful courses that I've found to help people discover spiritual gifts is called the Network Course. It comes out of Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago. There are other courses that you can get. If you find a course that's more helpful, then use that. But in 22 years, I haven't found a course that is better than the Network Course. It's not perfect. I don't agree with everything. We change some of the stuff in it to make sure that it's right? Um, But we use it because we haven't found anything else that's better. I took this course 23 years ago and it was one of some of the best two days that I've ever spent. And it's the best tool I've found in nearly 30 years of ministry for helping people discover their spiritual gifts. Because every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. In the network course, however, the network course teaches of three dangers around spiritual gifts. Elevation, projection, and rejection. Elevation. That's when you think that the gift that you have is more important than anybody else's. So perhaps we think of gifts like preaching or prophecy or evangelism or the gift of faith or the gift of speaking in tongues. And we think that perhaps the more public that gift is, or the more dramatic that gift is, that means that it's more spiritual than other gifts. So if God gives you one of those gifts, that means that you or I are more spiritual than other people. That's the danger of elevation. When we elevate the gifts that God has given to us above other people's gifts. The second danger is projection. That's when we project onto other people. And we expect them to have the same passion and the same gifts that God has given to us. So you might talk to somebody who has the gift of faith or the gift of intercession or the gift of evangelism. And they just don't understand why you aren't as passionate about intercession or evangelism or healing as you are. And you start to project onto them your passions and your gifts. One of the jobs of the senior church leader or the senior pastor, whatever you call, and I'm sure you call your church leader many things. um, One of the jobs of the senior pastor is to try and, and hold in tension all the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are contained within a church. And try and help people understand that different people have different gifts and different people have different passions and that not everybody will think that every gift is as important as the gift that you have been given. Because do you see what it says, verses 4 to 7, there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. And to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And verse 11, just as he determines. So God gives different people different gifts. 
Elevation, projection. Thirdly and finally, rejection. Now this is very sad. When you refuse to accept or to recognize the gifts that God has given you. This might be, through what we were looking at last night, perhaps linked to this idea of having a, a too low an image of yourself. It might be through false modesty. Um, somebody um, comes to you. Again, in Scotland, this happens all the time because of this worm theology that we have. We are but worms, and there is no good within us. And it's not for us to say that God has given us gifts. And so somebody might come to a Scottish Christian and say, thank you so much for X. And the Scottish Christian invariably will sort of shrink back, and their instinctive gut reaction is to say, Oh, well, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. <laughs> now, I'm sure that doesn't happen in Northern Ireland. But somehow we think because of false modesty, we go, oh, no, it's, it, wasn't, it was Jesus, it wasn't me. And I had this, this strange experience. I, I'd done the network course with the previous church that I used to work at. And we'd done it three or four times. And the network course finishes where you read out a list of about 25, 26 gifts of the Holy Spirit that are found in Scripture. And when the the top gift that you have, because it identifies probably that you have three or four gifts, when your number one gift is read out, you stand and you take your place in what becomes a gift circle. So it's done alphabetically. So you start with administration. So the people with the gift of administration stand first. And then it goes to evangelism, and then faith, and then giving. And then it goes back to discernment. And then it goes round the circle. And you end up with this whole circle, which is incredibly powerful and profound. Because what it does is you end up with people standing in a circle, looking across the circle to people who've got very, very different spiritual gifts to them. So there are people with the gift of administration here, looking across to people over here that have got the gift of wisdom. Now, Rejection is when somebody with the gift of administration, and this is usually the way it happens, the gift of administration or the gift of hospitality um, or the gift of service, for example, these are typically the ones that people really struggle to accept. So somebody with the gift of administration or hospitality or service looks across the circle to somebody with the gift of wisdom or the gift of tongues or the gift of evangelism or the gift of faith and they say, well, that's a really spiritual gift. My gift isn't really spiritual. It isn't properly spiritual. Now, do you see what's happening there? That's quite profound because you're refusing to accept a gift that God has given to you. So either your theology of gift is wrong or your theology of God is wrong because somehow God has given you the wrong gift. Now if God has given you the wrong gift, it's probably you that's wrong, not God. But we have this idea of false modesty. When at the first time we did the network course in the church that I lead in Edinburgh, something happened that was I'd never seen before. So we'd gone through the, 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 the six or seven sessions in the course. And we'd finished with this gift circle, reading out um, every single gift of the Holy Spirit. And when we'd 
gone round and, and created this gift circle, there were still about between five and ten people sitting in chairs on the front. Everybody else was standing in this gift circle. And I sort of looked down at these ten people and said, have you been here every week? And they said, hi. And I said, have you done the gift questionnaire? Hi. I said, so do you understand about spiritual gifts? Hi. I said, do you accept that every Christian has at least one spiritual gift? Hi. I said, so why aren't you standing with everybody else? And one guy, an old, he was in his 60s, I think, then. He's, he's now um, in his 90s. He said, ah, well, it's not for me to say. So what do you mean it's not for you to say? We've done seven sessions on spiritual gifts. You've filled in the questionnaire. You've written in the book. You've identified. Other people have identified gift. I did it with love, obviously. Um, <laughs> other people have identified in you. Why aren't you standing? And he said, well, it's not for me to say. <laughs> One day, each of us will stand before Jesus. And we will have to give an account of what we have done with the gifts that God has given to us. And it will not be good enough on that day for us to stand there and say, "Ah, well, it's not for me to say. (laughs) You have a responsibility. Nobody else is responsible for helping you to discover what your spiritual gift is. You have a responsibility to discover it. You have a responsibility to discern it. You have a responsibility then to use it. It's nobody else's responsibility. It's yours and it's God-given and it's yours alone. And one day you and I will have to stand before God and say what we have done with the gifts that God has given to us. And standing before the Lord Almighty himself and saying, it isn't for me to say, will not be good enough. Fourthly. There is a creative variety of gifts, an expression of the same gift. Verses 7 to 11. Nine spiritual gifts are listed here. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers. That's usually thought to be exorcism. Prophecy, discernment, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues. There are other lists found in Ephesians 4, Romans 12, and 1 Peter 4. Different gifts given to different people. Different people will use the same gift differently. So there are different gifts of evangelism. There are different gifts of hospitality. There are different gifts of service because how you use them are determined by your personality, by your maturity, by your experience, and by your context. Our God is a God of unbounded creativity. Look at creation. Do you not think, therefore, that when God is giving different gifts to different people, there will be an incredible beauty of diversity in the way that he gives those gifts? Fifthly, verse 7, gifts are for service, not entertainment. 
Spiritual gifts are to be used to encourage the church and extend the kingdom of God. Spiritual gifts are not spiritual toys or opportunities for showing other people how spiritual or special we are. Church, or indeed the use of spiritual gifts, is not a stage on which to perform. He says, speaking to you from a stage. Just cast your mind back just a few weeks again and think about the way in which Christians, churches, clergy and bishops responded to the fire in London at Grenfell Tower a few weeks ago. Motivated by love and compassion, they showed up, they listened, they cared, they prayed and they wept with people, using their spiritual gifts alongside human talents to share God's love in the midst of pain and loss. It was a remarkable demonstration of the body of Christ being the body of Christ. Not telling people how they should live. Not preaching at people how they should behave. Not telling people what they should believe. But listening, caring, weeping, encouraging, supporting. Just being there with people. Giving them practical support. And do you see what happened in the immediate aftermath of Grenfell Tower and that horrendous tragedy that unfolded that night? It was the church of Jesus Christ that stepped up. And it was the church of Jesus Christ in secular Britain, in 21st century London, it was the church of Jesus Christ that people went to. Nobody signed up for a yoga class. It was the church of Jesus Christ that people went to. And it was the church of Jesus Christ that stepped up. Yes, other faith communities were involved. Sikhs were involved. Muslims were involved. Absolutely, of course they were. But primarily, front and center, it was the church of Jesus Christ that was there. Using their gifts, serving their community, serving their culture. Not preaching at anybody but demonstrating the love and the care and the compassion of Jesus. Finally, verse 5. The Holy Spirit comes to energize us for service. There are different kinds of working, but the same Spirit works in all of them and in everyone. It is the same God at work. It was Michael Green who wrote, The Comforter comes not in order to make people comfortable, but to make them missionaries. God wants to use us. God wants to equip us. God wants to equip you to enable other people to discover who Jesus is. Spiritual gifts are not toys. Spiritual gifts are not long service medals. Spiritual gifts are not rewards for loyalty like nectar points or air miles. Spiritual gifts are given through the charis, the grace of God, to point people to Jesus through you. And I want to end with one final illustration. It's a fairly well-known illustration, but it's none the more less powerful for that. It, it comes from the Bayer Tapestry. And if you've seen the Bayer Tapestry, that, that, that uh, embroidery that depicts the invasion in 1066 by the Normans, when the Richards came to Britain, by the way, uh, in 1066, we were, we were from Normandy. It's our fault. Um, and at, there's one particular part where in Latin it says, William comforts his troops and it has come fortis strengthens with strength 
Those are the words written above the top of the Bayer tapestry. And the particular illustration that's beneath is of William comforting his troops. And you know what William is doing? William has got a spear. And William is sticking this spear up the backside of his troops. He is comforting his troops by giving them a spear up the backside, going, go on and do what I've called you to do. Go on and be the people that I've called you to be. So if you think of the comforter as the one who brings you comfort, the one who counsels you, the one who is there beside you, and all that's true, he is also the one who kicks you up the backside and who strengthens you with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and says, go and be the people that I've called you to be. Go and show my love. Go and show my care. Go and show my compassion. And above all, go and show my grace to a world that is desperately, hungrily, thirstily searching for peace and love and meaning and hope. And the only person who can give them that meaning and that hope and that love and that peace and that joy and that fulfillment is Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead and the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in you. And do you believe it? And will you take him at his word? And will you actually ask God to show you what the gifts are and then get off your backsides and use them? Let's stand. Just as we have previous evenings, we're going to just invite the Holy Spirit to come. And I believe tonight that God wants to give people gifts. Some of you have been told that you are too old to be used by God. Some of you have been told that you are too young to be used by God. Some of you have been told that you are the wrong gender to be used by God. Tonight, I believe that God wants to speak to you and to give you gifts. Let's be quiet together. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence in this place. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're a God of grace and compassion and love and kindness who for some reason delights in involving people like us in your work. And so Holy Spirit, we simply want to invite you again to come into this place. And as you come, Lord, to bring your gifts, So perhaps as you've got your eyes closed again, if it's helpful to you, just simply put your hands out as an attitude of receiving. If it's not helpful, then do something else. If you want to kneel, kneel. If you want you just to sit, sit. But whatever's helpful for you, just receive the Holy Spirit now as he comes into this place afresh. And as he comes, he's bringing his gifts. But the Spirit gives just as he determines. It's not like a Christmas tree where we cherry pick the gifts that we want. God is sovereign and he gives gifts to his people. So Holy Spirit, we're inviting you to come and to bring your gifts now. We're open, Lord. We want to receive from you. 
Some of us have been told that we're too old. Some of us have been told that we're too young. Some of us have been told that we're the wrong gender. And Lord, we want to just refute those lies that have been spoken over us. That we've colluded with, perhaps, and believed. And we want to say tonight that we're open. Open to receive from you and the gifts that you long to give to us. We're going to continue to respond in song. And if you sense that tonight God's spoken to you, the prayer ministry team are available and will be available at either side of the stage. And I just encourage you to come forward and to ask somebody to pray for you and with you. That you might receive the gifts that God has given to you. Let's just respond to God as we worship together.